Hey there, marketing friends, it's Misty. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Marketing Sweats. This season, I'm featuring female leaders at heavy industry brands to gain insights on what it takes to succeed in male-dominated industries, the challenges faced along the way, and lessons learned from their collective experiences. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rakshan Syed. She's the Director of Digital Integration Services at a Fortune 100 manufacturer of heavy equipment, and she's also written a book called Embolden Women, Unapologetically Me. It's about enabling women to value their individuality and unique skills and inspiring them to break the so-called societal norms for women. Rakshan's goal is to empower and lift women up by teaching them to live life on their own terms with courage and confidence, challenging gender biases to build their own future. Whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, I think you'll enjoy Rakshan's story of resilience, determination, and success. I can't wait for you to meet her, so let's get to it. Well, welcome. I have a new friend of mine joining today, which I'm super excited about, Rakshan Syed. I got to know Rakshan through a recent speaking engagement she and I did together. And I asked her to come on the show just because I think her story and her perspective is so interesting. She's recently written a book called Embolden Women, Unapologetically Me. And so I'll be asking you a lot of questions about that today. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me here, Misty. So nice to see you. It's nice to see you. Okay, so we start at the beginning always. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing. I'd love to hear your story. So we are five kids. I was born in India to really progressive parents. And my parents were always of the belief, like, they let us children follow their heart, supportive in everything, which is not very common in India in those days when growing up in 80s, 90s India. So for me, it was like I was a blessed child to have parents who are always keeping my dreams, my priorities ahead of everything else. Rakshan, what do you think made them so progressive in their parenting style? I don't know what it is. I think that's how they were wired is what I tell. My dad was like, actually, he would never care about what people think, what the customs are, what the culture norm is. For him, it's like, hey, if you want to do something, your heart believes in it, just do it. I think that's how I am. And that's what all my siblings are, similar mindset. So we don't care much about, it's not that we don't care about society, but we don't care about appeasing and pleasing people all the time. I think that's how we are wired. For me, it's been always like with my parents, I've been able to speak my mind. My dad was very supportive parent in the sense that I wanted to be part of being that opinionated, always having my voice in everything, be it at home, be it at work, be it at school, could support and enable me to do that. I remember growing up, I was always very fond of debate competitions. I'd go to all inter-school debates. And those days, we did not have computers or way to do research, right? So most of our research media was magazines or newspapers. And my dad was my first source who would go find me all sorts of information from, I don't know where he used to get it, but he used to get me the cutouts. And so he'd always uh, argue with me about my specific topic or cross-question me. And he'd, he'd like literally challenge me to think it. Even when I used to tell him I want to do something about it his whole focus was you need to first develop knowledge to make an influence you can't just do that without it I think that stayed with me and also like my mom even though she was a housewife she's always been one who's always wanting to do above and beyond for other people for the community and also always encouraging us to be in the forefront of everything participation in school competitions or be it like volunteering for something should always push and encourage so I think having that type of parents is what's made me how I am wired because I've seen a lot of positivity and I strongly believe in that optimism and positivity. I even tell my kids 
there's going to be a lot of negative people out there, but always focus on positive and look for how you can give benefit of doubt to everyone. And that's how I am a leader too. I always like to do that. So yeah. I don't well, your energy like... has already spilled over onto me and I <laughs> feel so lucky to have gotten to know you. So talk about how that those early insights uh, in your upbringing led you to make your moves in school and then ultimately your career. I think you're fascinating how many things you're trained in. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like my whole confidence and courage comes from that early upbringing, just because of the way I could be who I am. And especially I keep highlighting on that traditional Indian families don't allow you to just be who you are. There's a lot of uh, norms and cultural taboos that always people get bogged down with. But my family was not that way. So I feel like we, me and my sisters for specifically, like, you know, it's more with the girl child than with the male child, right? That happens most of the society where uh, you're not given the same freedoms. But for me, bringing up, my upbringing has always been like, to have the freedom and to have that thing. So I think that has always given me sense of courage and confidence and also that whole uh, opinionated mindset or strength that I have. I don't want to use it as a negative thing. It's not that I'm opinionated about people, but I do believe in my own opinions and stand by those. Uh, and I have pride in that. And that's why I wrote that book, Unapologetically Me, to be who I am. Well, I love it. And we're going to dig into that extensively. Before we do, I wanted to ask, so my research on you here shows that you have a diploma in interior design, a bachelor's degree in law, an MS and MIS. So gosh, those are lots of different varied disciplines. Can you walk us through your journey a little bit on how you came in to be the role you're in today? Like I said, growing up, I always wanted to do something in the space where I'm influencing people or doing something. And that's where I think early in my school years, I had made up my mind, I want to be a lawyer. I think that's why I was always busy with debates and inter-school competitions and wanting to get into a right school and all that. But as I started to get into my law school, in parallel, I always had this passion for interior designing, not the decoration piece, but the designing, which is more from construction, estimation, costing, you know, all of that of a structure, architectural focus versus interior decoration. So there were some um, new schools launched where they had evening classes where you could do your diploma in interior designing. And because of my passion for that, I decided to uh, do both my law school as well as my interior designing diploma in parallel. So I used to have my daytime law school and evening classes for my interior oh my designing. You are ambitious. That's crazy. I understand you are a great speaker and you're good at, you know, I read in your book how you were, you really excelled at debate. So how do those different skills that were from your background come to life and you taking the path towards management information systems? How do you use those still today? That's a great question. So when I moved here to United States, I was like, 2021. That was when I came here. I had just graduated from my law school. I had my bar license. If I stayed in India, I could practice law. But when I moved here, I had to either go back to law school here and focus on that, or I could do something different. And this was like uh, early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, 97, 98 is when I came here. So around that time, management information system was like a brand new thing. A lot of schools were kind of uh, marketing that a lot. So when I started consulting with different schools like U of I and University of Chicago, they're all talking about the law discipline, but also I asked them, if I don't want to do law, what are my opportunities or options. And I think it helped me because I had interior designing diploma, which was kind of formed in the STEM field, and then law was in more liberal arts. So between the two, I didn't have to worry about too many uh, prerequisites for any master's program I enrolled in. 
So I always tell people, education never fails you. It helps you in something. So I was able to jump into this management information systems. I said, okay, I'll give myself a semester. If I like it, I'll stay. If not, I always know to fall back to my law school. And I loved it so much the first semester. I ended up doing my master's in two and a half years. Okay. So help me understand what you learned and then how you applied that in your career growth. Because I don't think I fully understand what you do day to day. I started as a programmer, uh, a developer in uh, programming C++ when I first started this job as an entry level. Uh, So I came to this Fortune 100 heavy equipment manufacturing company as my first job into IT. And most of my job in the beginning was supporting and developing software development teams uh, working in programming C++. But like I can tell you and you know that I'm not a person who likes to sit behind the computer and just code all day. So for me, it was like, okay, where do I go from here? And so I started to evolve myself into what is the way I can still be part of the technology because technology fascinates me and I didn't want to disconnect from that. And I want to continue to evolve and learn. Um, But at the same time, I wanted to make sure that how do I get into a place where I'm using technology to influence and enhance people and how can I grow? And that's what my mindset was from day one. And I think that was because of my law background, my interior designing background. And when you come to a big company that is a Fortune 100 corporation, I think you have a lot of opportunities if you plan your path right. And I always tell people, companies don't plan your career for you. You have to plan your own path. You should plan it based on your strengths, but also based on what you enjoy the most. And then you'll find allies along the way who will help execute that for you or at least be that support system. And that's how I weaved my whole career. So when I started to do development and programming, I started to look for opportunities in parallel to see where else can I be of some benefit to the corporation? How do I build more opportunities? And that's where I started to look for vendor contract management obviously with my law background, that kind of helped me get more broader network within the company, working with different business units, working with different external third party suppliers, companies, and to support those external projects. And then I started to get more into program management, project management, start to build more onto the leadership roles. And that's how I evolved. Most of my first 10 years of career uh, has been in engineering applications, uh, wherein I worked a lot in CAD, CAM, visualization tools, and things like that. What was interesting was because of my interior designing diploma, that came to me very easy. And I think that's how I always tell people, education never fails you. Uh, your investment in tools and technology or learning never fails you. And that's how it benefited me. So all it's it was almost like everything aligned together. All stars were aligning because I had my law background that helped me with my vendor contract management. I had my background in interior designing that helped me with my engineering application, CAD CAM tools. And then I started to evolve more towards distributed applications that is more customer facing or heavy equipment industries always have their dealers they work with and we have our dealers. So I started to build more dealer-based solutions for uh, integrations between dealer and our corporation. And that's where I started to invest more in myself into getting more understanding of how do you build applications. And I invested more in agile framework. I actually brought Agile to my organization. I believe in iteratively making progress versus trying to do something all at once. And somehow that lean mindset connected with me and I became an Agilist at my place of work and I'm one of the brands for making sure Agile works the best. There's always a 
change when you're moving away from your waterfallish applications into more agile based customer or dealer facing applications so it was kind of an evolution it was a transformation and i evolved again from there it was not just about executing a framework but it was working with people bringing people along and that kind of enhanced my career again into that leadership role uh, having more of uh, ownership and brand for myself and i started to work more into e-commerce applications applications that uh, support uh, your parts or service business or your uh, sales business and i kind of grew into that role uh, which was more of a like dealer customer facing role and we as a corporation have more than 279 cios that i work with uh, it's across uh, 150 60 70 plus dealerships so think of the volume that it is it's a complex environment and being in a male dominated industry like heavy equipment and being a woman woman of color i think for me it was a great challenge and i felt like i evolved a lot into this role and i enjoy every minute of this role as i'm working with those different uh, chief information officers the vpits and uh, different uh, parts of the globe different companies Uh, so that relationship building is what's the key to this job more than just making sure the technology is working and my main goal here is to make sure that our corporate agenda is met with our customers dealers and i am that liaison to make sure that that execution happens both internally and externally wow and then without getting into the weeds of the strategies behind your work every day give us a sense of what kinds of projects you have So like I said like a uh, part of the heavy equipment industry you have a lot of work you do for your dealers and your customers right and then my job is dealer facing in the sense that uh, we make sure that in the integration space when there is integration between our company and the dealers we're making sure that they are able to get the right information at the right time and have the data that they need to connect to our corporate for their downstream success of their business. And my team's job is to focus on that governance, standardization and execution. And we play a liaison role where we make sure that they understand what is needed, what is required. And then my leadership is to make sure that they understand the why behind it. It focuses heavily on the integrations between our corporation and dealer, but it also focuses on certain channels and tools that we make offer to them to make sure that they are embedding and accommodating that to meet the business needs that need to drive our sales and service results. It's amazing. So I I've shared with you Rakshan that our business focuses on all these sort of heavy industry legacy brands, right, that are trying to be more digitally customer focused. And I know that any of these brands deal with a lot of data issues, a lot of legacy technology issues. But what particularly excites you about your job today? Do you see the change that you're making? Oh, I love this question. The reason I love this question is until I got into this role, it was a very much a male dominant role. Because uh, you know, in general STEM is a very male dominating industry, right? Anything in STEM anywhere, but also more so in a heavy equipment industry, it is a lot more male dominating. So for me, this role is what enabled me to Uh, changed that barrier where women was not representing in this position but for me being a woman and woman of color wearing hijab and then facing the dealers across the globe i thought that's what thrives me in this job uh, but also my number one thing is people i love developing people uh, working with people and that's where i enjoy this job where i work around dealers from different parts of the world uh, diversity wise right i love that and for me that is the gratifying experience is to get to understand the dealers and understand the people and working with them
So tell the story, because you talk about this a little bit in the speech you gave this past weekend about sort of how people perceive you when you come in the room and some of the looks that you would get, especially earlier in your career before you grew into a leadership position and how you kind of loved proving people wrong because you knew your worth so much. Talk about that. When I first started in this industry, there was not many women who were in computer science or in even majoring in computer science. But also at the same time, I don't think I'd seen anybody wearing hijab in this place, especially Peoria, Chicago area. I had not seen many women do that. I don't think there was many across the globe either. So for me, coming to not only wearing a hijab to into a STEM field, but being a woman of color, I, I used to get a lot of raised hairbrows. People used to have, especially I love this, where I used to have conversations on the phone. And those days we did not have Teams or video chats as much more phones. So when you talk on the phone and they are not assuming how I look, right? But then when you have the first interaction, when they see me for the first time, be it the vendor, meet other people internally, they'd have like, I could tell their body language, some people would be so obvious that they would just like give it up to say, oh, okay, you're Raksha, okay. I'm like, yeah, what did you expect? Not someone wearing a hijab. I used to joke around about it because I knew that there was a discomfort uh, or they were kind of struggling with that. And also sometimes people were not at all exposed to it. So they would have a weird uh, pause-based reaction. They were like freezing in a way. So I had to always ease the situation. So I've almost done every form of joke to, hey, don't worry, I don't carry anything in my bag to something to say, I'm just like you or, you know, ease the situation. And then some of those people who had the most uh, initial uh, restraint towards my appearance became my good friends for the period of time. Oh, that's so great to hear. I love that. Well, so tell me a little bit, you know, you, you talk at length about how proud you are to be a woman in these fields. And I, like I told you, did spend some time with your book. When did you decide to write this and what inspired you to do it? So I never, ever thought of writing a book, to be honest, because for me, it was always about how do I influence women in general, be it through my general community discussions, even if I'm attending a party, if somebody says something and I feel like I have to speak up about women, I do that. For me, it's always been in back of my mind about uplifting, enhancing and not letting women down. That's been my mantra always. So for me, I think it's been since I was little, I've always had this thing about why do women have to be differentiated or discriminated? in so many different ways. doesn't matter which part of the world you are. So as I've been conscious of that, every opportunity I get, I always make it a point not to let the conversation go if I know I can influence someone. But then last few years, as my kids, I have two kids, Sarah, 15, and Omar, 21. And uh, I have, uh, they're awesome kids. I love them. But they're uh, old enough now where they don't need as much of my time as they did in the past, right? A uh, 15-year-old wants to be in her room. 21-year-old doesn't want to show his face, right? That's how it is. So I thought it's perfect time where now I can focus on some of my dreams or goals beyond just my profession, where I want to impact the community or the society. And that's when I was kind of becoming a bit restless about what do I want? I want to do something for women. What should I do? And I couldn't tell for a bit. And then all of a sudden in 2021, I don't know how the thought occurred to me, I'm going to put all my thoughts in a book. And that's when I started to write the book in October. But before that, I've always had this thing where if I think of some specific topic or conversation that I feel like could influence somebody, I'd put it in my OneNote or in my phone notes pad or something so that it stays with me. So when I started to think about, okay, I want to put all of this together, I started to gather all my things from last, I don't know how many years I had one-liners or quotes or, you know, some random thoughts. And then I started to weave that into a book. 
Oh, I love it so much. And I've spent the past couple of days reading through it. I want to ask you some specific questions that stood out to me and then kind of give you some space to share anything we didn't cover. One of the things you talk about at length is sort of uncovering your own bias. And you've mentioned that already in the conversation that your parents really didn't follow the cultural norms and that allowed you space to really be very aware of that. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what that's meant for you personally and then also what that's looked like on the job? That's a good question. So when I started to get more into the leadership roles, I invested more in reading about emotional intelligence and subconscious biases. Until then, I always was of the thought process in my mind was assumption or whatever you want to call it was that, oh, I'm a very receptive person. I don't discriminate. I don't judge people. You know, you always believe that the best in you because of my background and thinking, oh, I always think of everybody in a positive way. But what I started to realize is there are subtle nuances to your emotional intelligence quotient as well as your subconscious bias that you carry, where you come from, be it your background, your upbringing or your culture and it stays with you. You assume it's not just because you're not seeing it unless you see it from somebody else's eyes, right? So when I started to invest more in this training and in this uh, reading, I, I do a lot of reading. I love reading. So as I learned, I started to analyze myself. That's one thing I do is when I read something, I like to put myself in that shoe and say, do I do that? Where do I do that kind? Of? And then as I was assessing that, I realized in general, people from India have a lot of pride in our elite culture because we are culture rich country, right? It's thousands of years old, unlike other countries that were made in less hundreds of years. So when you have that kind of a background, even you believe you don't do, you do have that pride somewhere that sometimes can come in your way. And that's what I realized was there must have been so much type of misjudgment in my mind that I may not be thinking is there, but it, it's always there. So as I learned about it, I started to consciously use that both in my personal and private as well as professional life, uh, where I always ask myself, am I judging somebody before I know enough? Am I putting enough context to it? That's how I realized was that subconscious bias to fight that the first thing you need to do is put your context behind everything and understand from the other side of the aisle, what are they thinking? Where is it coming from? Versus just thinking from your narrow box. And my favorite part of the subconscious bias is where people assume that inclusion and diversity means just accepting people from different races or backgrounds or culture. It's more to it. It's giving people that freedom to be, to value their unique traits of how they do the work, how they manage their life and not judge that. And I think we all end up judging because we all feel like our way of what we're doing is the right way. And that's when I think because of my hijab, I never used to wear hijab back in India. When I moved here is when I started. And that's when I started to realize, why would I be a different person if I'm just wearing this? Because my mindset is always the same. But then I started putting myself in their shoes and think, okay, where are they coming from? So that subconscious bias they are carrying, just like I may have something. And that's how I started to analyze myself for what do I carry with me that I should not. And I keep investing in that. I love everything you said so much, but I just want to pull a couple threads there. So you know that I'm going through something hard in my life right now, and so many people don't know the context of my story, right? And so it's been a really good lesson learned for me to think about everybody's going through something that is their own, and they have to find their own voice in that. You talk in your book so much about being confident in who you are and not shying away from using your voice. My question to you was, 
beyond your hijab, what other things did you learn about yourself in your career where you're like, this is me, this is what makes me so effective at what I do. And then when you saw that, you know, I call mine my flywheel, right? What is yours that makes you so great? And how did you start to put that out in the world? Oh, I love this question because uh, you can tell by now I am very out there. I don't shy away from my conversation and I'm I'm going to give it the way I see it. Trust and transparency for me is very uh, important. So when I started this climbing the corporate ladder, I started to learn the nuances that people see in women versus men. And I, in the beginning of my career, was trying too hard to force fit myself into somebody else's perception of that corporate career ladder because how they expect women to behave or how they expect a leader to behave, even forget man or woman. And I didn't feel comfortable when I was doing it. Even if I was doing it, maybe others wouldn't tell it, but my mind would tell me I'm not feeling right about it. So I struggled through that part a little in the beginning. And then I had this whole conversation with myself about, hey, I want to be authentic to myself. If that means that I have to carve out my career totally differently, that's fine. And it took me a while to adjust and accept that. And that's why I talk a lot in my book about uh, being unapologetically who you are or authenticity for who you should be. I think that's very important. We Women get pressurized by two things. One is how our male mentors or male uh, leaders are behaving. And sometimes women start to mimic them. I've seen that happen across me, around me. And sometimes we also start to listen to everything people are telling us and start to think that, oh, we have to fix it. Maybe we should listen. I'm not saying we should not. Always constructive feedback is good. But how we take that constructive feedback and change that still keeping our authenticity is what I have learned over years. And now I don't shy away from being who I am. I'm very vocal. I speak when I want to. I don't hide my thoughts or my opinions when I see something I have to speak to. And at the same time, if I feel like I'm not comfortable about a situation, I don't hesitate to mention that. And it took a while to get there, right? That courage, the confidence. But the main thing for me, what was a discovering factor was to tell myself that I don't need to fit somebody else's box or perception of what I should be as a leader. And that helped me. It's so fascinating. So being on the agency world, I am surrounded by many strong female leaders. So I always had this juxtaposition of seeing mentors model for me what strong female leadership looked like while also walking into rooms that were pretty much all white men, right? And having to earn my stripes and ask the right questions and connect the dots and drive momentum. So the question I've been asking folks this season is, what is it behavior-wise that When you think back over the course of your career, are there two or three things that stand out to you that go, you know, I started to use my voice because I experienced this. I'd just love to hear some stories from you as you reflect on that. Yeah, I think what I started to focus on is self-belief, right? For me, I always asked myself, did I give myself 100% into something and I gave it with full honesty and dedication. And after that, if I didn't see the results, like beat my promotion or beat a specific role, I'm targeted and somebody has their perception. So I always felt like it's not my bad, it's their bad. And I've had situations in career where I was aiming for something and that didn't pan out. But instead of feeling dejected and hurt, for me, number one thing is self-belief. I believe in myself fully well that what I'm doing is the right thing because I understand the topic. I understand that space and I can contribute the best. If somebody still can't recognize it, it's not my bad, it's theirs. I'm very comfortable to say that to myself. I think that's number one. Women should learn to accept that you don't need to second guess yourself just because somebody didn't acknowledge or accept who you are or what you bring to the table. I love that because that self-compassion of seeing your good intentions is what allows you to show up stronger the next day. 
Very good point. And then the second thing I always tell people is self-motivation, right? Don't let somebody else's perception take away from how you enhance and grow intellectually, physically, mentally, right? For me, that's what it is. And I always talk about how man or woman, you can carve out your career. The more educated you are, the more you learn. In my space, like technology is my thing. So I like to grow and learn. Like what happened 20 years ago is not what's happening today. So, But if I don't keep up, I can't expect people to put me in those key positions right so I always tell there is a balance there is some places where I strongly believe that there is opportunities are not given to the right people but sometimes it's not that it's just you may not have the right skills for that so how do you balance that and for me that self-motivation is very important it comes when you appreciate yourself you're willing to grow and learn and those are the two things that I've used a lot in my career is the self-belief and self-motivation I love that because at the end of your book, you challenge readers to dream big. Are you still dreaming big, Rakshan? Yeah, I am. So like I said, for me, it's about I want to make a global presence for the women across the world in how I can be that voice. And I want to be Embolden Woman, a brand. That's where I'm headed. Like if you go to my website at emboldenwoman.com, it's just a starting point as a book is my medium to meet the women and get them to hear about the story. But for me, it's more than just the book. It's for me, Embolden Woman, I want it to be a brand. I don't know how I'll get there, but that's my goal. Hey, maybe I can help. That's awesome. I love it so much. One thing I wanted to pick your brain on, because this is one way you're being an emboldened woman, is that you're taking a very strong stand on women owning their own bodies. You talk about the Roe versus Wade overturn. You talk about not normalizing the image of women in movies and magazines. So those kinds of topics that are big and bold are kind of scary to talk about. But how do you find that courage within yourself to just state your opinions and put it out there in hopes that you're probably mentoring and modeling for other women? For me, it's always been even when I'm having conversation with my family member or with my uh, best friends or someone, right? In general, I think it's how I'm wired from when I was little. When I see something that is obviously something that is a subtle type of a backhand compliment or a backhand critic, I get annoyed with it. So... I don't like that. And so when I used I to love ob- it. <laughs> when I used to observe that growing up in India, for example, Bollywood movies, right? They do a lot of objectification of women. Like there's always a, a movie may have like a whole focus on a man's star, like a main. Uh, but then there will be three songs, and all they have is the skimpy clothes for the women running around. I don't have a problem with good-looking women. My problem is, is that the only purpose of women is to please somebody as an eye candy. And when I used to bring that up, a lot of even my own family members say, oh my God, chill, don't worry, it's no big deal. And for me, yes, it is a big deal because each of you who is letting it to be a normal process is kind of contributing to that being women or man, and that's becoming normal. That's where I talk about the normalization trap. And I think that's how I've kind of always thought. And every time I see an opportunity, I feel like I'm doing my bit. And I feel happy here and here when I do that. And I just speak up. I just say it. You're so, you're so awesome. I just love your, you know, just the tone that you bring to these conversations because you really do feel it. I can tell in your heart. <laughs> these are really important and you can't let that stuff slide by. That's so awesome. All right. I want to bring it back to your career a little bit. One of the things I've been asking my interviewees this season is really about this sort of juxtaposition of the desire to achieve, because I know you're a hard worker and you want to keep growing versus making sure that you're getting that fulfillment in life. So it kind of leads into that work-life balance issue. I wondered if you could share any perceptions with us around that. So my top five strength finders, number one is achiever. (laughs) 
Not surprising. Yeah. So, and you know how it is a double-edged sword, right? When you have an achiever, you're always, as soon as you achieve the first step or a goal, you're headed towards the next, to the next one. You don't yeah. really pause and reflect and enjoy what you already achieved. I feel like recently that's what I have kind of learned or taught myself in the last couple of years is it's achievement is great, but you want to add the fulfillment angle to the achievement wherein you feel fulfilled from that before you jump on to the next. If not, you're constantly chasing and you're not really taking that pause and enjoying what you achieved. And I was guilty of that for a long time before I realized that. Because for me, it's always like I need projects and I need to keep myself challenged and I need to keep running. So I strongly now am taking more of the time to pause, center, understand before I get to the next. Not that I don't get to the next, but at least I want to cherish and enjoy what I did before I get to the next too. So having that, but also I think we continuously evolve and learn, right? Everybody does. And then as you do that, you need to understand where do we pause, but at the same time, how do we celebrate ourselves? To me, achievement is only fulfilling when you know to celebrate it. If not, you don't even recognize that you achieved and you move on. And a lot of us women, I feel, are guilty. We don't even celebrate things. Like I was at this uh, Women uh, in uh, Leadership Network uh, as a speaker last week, and I mentioned to them, we need to even celebrate our kids' birthdays, not for them, for us, <laughs> to feel yes. proud of what we have raised. I and we're doing that. it all balancing our work, our family, you know, all the stuff that we do. And we don't because we have been uh, for uh, generations thought to be humble and not acknowledge our highlight on things we do good. So I'm now putting in more effort telling people when I mentor to say, hey, pause, enjoy who you are, not what others think of you. Where are you feeling good about yourself? So for me, it's more than just me getting a promotion or uh, writing the book is one of my pride part, right? But it's not about just writing the book. This is what I'm doing here with you now. I want to enjoy that. I want to feel good about it and feel proud of that. So that's how I want to weave that. I was just going to ask you, the joy that you have is like spilling over on you. So I know you've done a lot of this work. What do you do for you? What are your hobbies and where do you get filled back up? So I love spending time with my kids and me and my daughter uh, a lot. We have a lot of TV shows we watch, uh, like uh, one of our favorite shows is Gilmore Girls. I love that show. But that's what connects you to being women to women. I think that's why it appeals to me and her. And she's also like me, very much determined, opinionated. I put that in my book as well. And my son uh, also, I enjoy watching sports with him. I love that time spent. I love sports, football, basketball, doesn't matter what it is, but I love football a lot. And he's obsessed with sports. So just that's so being cool. around them makes me happy so Finding that's ways to yeah come. along with that i love binge watching i can watch netflix for <laughs> days and <laughs> days and I nights i don't know how you do it all <laughs> you keep all these balls in the air and find time to watch tv that's amazing yeah and then travel and reading is another part of my thing i love traveling i like to explore different places uh, and i have family around the world so that makes it easy sometimes to travel and then reading like you can tell if i had to write I have to be a good reader so i love reading right Awesome. I just want to circle back real quick too to just, you know, continuing to work in these sort of male dominated fields. How have you found the intersection of between, you know, your day job, your work and your life's purpose and trying to really think about your work through the lens of caring about people, I guess? I've had more uh, positive experience than negative is how I would put it. Obviously, there's ups and downs. There's always some 
times when you're challenged in different ways. But for the most part, I should say I'm blessed to have worked with great people, great leaders, great teams. And I've always learned from everywhere, left, right, up, down, like all around me, 360. And what I really like about my job is the people aspect, how I can influence people, but also how I can learn from people. Right. That's the part that really thrives me. Along with that, when I see the technology evolution and how we are using technology to make the world a better place, I think that's what makes me really happy. And I'm like a big Apple fan, for example. I do everything Apple in my house. I automate everything I can. So I don't shy away from getting hands-on on something. Um, but at the same time, I believe in empowering people, empowering teams, agile mindset I talked about. Right. It's all about how you're giving people that empowerment to do the job in their own style uh, while you're coaching and helping and supporting them when they need it. So that's how I've been throughout my career. But for me, in this current role, as well as in my past roles, I should say I've had some great male and female allies, more so male allies, I should say. At the same time, I've also had great team members I've worked with who've always appreciated and cherished what I bring to the table. So when there are too bad, there are 10 good people is how I look at it. And that's what I celebrate more than worrying about what two things didn't go well for me. That's so great. You have a very clear point of view and leadership philosophy. Are there some key accomplishments that you're most proud of when you look back over the course of your career? My biggest accomplishment for me is how far I've come, to be honest, right? Like I tell you, my background started in law and then I got into the MIGAS. Being a woman, woman of color, the kind of work I do today, working with the dealers, I feel really feel a huge sense of accomplishment for that just because it, this position itself gives me that gratifying experience. Along with that, I've done a few major projects where I redid the whole legacy applications and did the conversion to modern technology. So there's various points in my career that I don't want to get into the details that have really given me sense of accomplishment. But holistically, what really gives me that feeling of achievement or uh, satisfaction is when I'm able to influence people. Like I mentor women. And recently I was mentoring someone and she found a job because through that mentorship and she was very appreciative of that. For me, that gives me a real thrill, right? Because I was able to weave somebody into their career. Or when I promote people at work, help promote people at work, or when I'm kind of like, for me, the people aspect, I feel like without human aspect, you cannot really succeed. And people should be your number one factor for anything you do. So if I have to really sum it up, for me, it's people. And then with people, what I can deliver and how I've delivered is what I feel most proud of. That's so cool. As you were talking, I was thinking, you know, I think as leaders, we have the ability to grow individuals and then teams and then maybe departments. You're now influencing a system on a global basis. And so what are you learning at this stage of your career that maybe you didn't know before as a frontline leader? What are you taking from all of these dealers around the world that's helping you think differently about the business, the future, you, any of that? First of all, I always feel like it uh, doesn't matter how big or small the organization is, challenges are similar across the board, right? You always have your resource uh, limitations or you have your budget limitations or you have your holistically certain organizational limitations. 
out of which everybody is wanting to thrive and do the best. So nobody is here to do the bad job, right? That's what I have started to appreciate and learn is as you work with diverse uh, set of different companies, dealers or different companies, but also when I'm doing my book tours or talking to different people from other industries, I think challenges facing most of the businesses are same, but also when I talk about specifically women, the challenges facing women are the same universally, no matter where you go in the world. And every place, be it a specific country, political situation or organizational situation, there are some kind of nuances that are there and women are always trying to figure out how to work that out. I feel like this role, but also me writing the book has given me a lot of clarity for myself. Uh, again, because I talk so much about being unapologetic. So now I'm becoming more bolder. I think I was bold, but I'm becoming even more bolder about what my needs and wants are from my job or from my family or from my friends. I'm not wanting to just shy away from that conversation. So that's what I feel like I've evolved as a leader, more because of my experiences with different people. But writing the book has given me a lot of clarity to bring me to the center to really feel good about who, where I am and what I want to do. I love hearing that. And I think I told you I have a book dream, right? I think I've been on this journey for several years now, but it does. Writing down what you believe makes you reinforce that clarity. You teased me because I rewrote my speech this weekend 137 times and you you only had to write it once, but it was because you've spent time with your ideas. And I think that you know you deserve a lot of credit for that. That had to be a huge uphill battle to write a book. Yeah, the book took for a while, right? I had to rewrite and rewrite certain chapters multiple times, but you're right. Trying to just put all that in the book actually made me feel like I'm born again, kind. You know, it was a different experience. It's given me more courage and confidence for what I am or who I am. Yeah. I have to ask you about failures because you do talk about that a little in the book about how they're necessary, right? So when you think back at your career, are there certain experiences you've had that you would have considered a failure at the time, but now you consider a learning? To go back to that example I used about how I used to put myself in that box of others' perception of how a leader should behave or how a women leaders should behave, I think I struggled through that for a few years in my career where I just felt like uh, I was trying to retrofit myself and it never fell in place. And the reason it never fell in place was I was not authentic to who I am or should be, right? And that's when I had the discovery of myself to say, okay, I'm not going to force fit myself into somewhere I don't belong. If I don't belong, I don't belong kind. And to me, that was like a lesson learned where I realized I'll give my best for everything, but I'll not change who I am. And then people either accept me or reject me. That's fine. I'll deal with it. I talked to another woman this season who said, once I realized like I could wear my high heels and dresses to work, you know, instead of being one of the guys, I thrived. I don't know why we do that to ourselves. We try to just fit in. Yeah. And somehow we have these perceptions of other people that we carry because somebody tells you, oh, if you do this, they'll not like it. We don't even explore before we stop to do it, right? We just assume we should not even try. Yeah, it's crazy. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. 
You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. All right. So my last question for you, Rakshan, is a question for another. It's something I ask everybody because I love questions. I think they make us more curious and creative. What's something you're personally wrestling with that you'd love help solving? Right now, I want to get to the global reach for the women and women allies through my book. But more so, like I said, I want to really broaden my mindset of that emboldened women. So I'm struggling to understand how do I go about it? Like I'm very comfortable in my career of how I know what I want to do next from my leadership role or where I want to go. But this whole space of this writing the book, like I said, it was not even like I had planned to write a book. I ended up writing a book. And then I realized, oh, wow, I want to make this emboldened woman a brand where everybody can resonate with it and be that. I want all women to live unapologetically. So I feel passionately about it. And I don't know what I should do next. I'm struggling to figure out what is that right approach where I really make emboldened women a brand. Well, I have so many ideas and we are going to talk about it offline, (laughs) but this season, especially talking to women in heavy industry has been enlightening for me, given I've spent 20 years of my career trying to fight these battles as well. So if nothing else, we now have this awesome cohort of other women who have experienced the same things. We can continue the conversation Absolutely. and I can't thank you enough for joining me on the podcast. I can't wait to share the episode. Is there anything you didn't get to talk about today that you wanted to share? No, I think you did a pretty good job of covering almost everything that I thought you should <laughs> awesome. cover. So, <laughs> Well, I think you're a fascinating human. I have loved getting to know you and reading your book, and we are will definitely share your story. Thank you. It's so nice to get to know you, Misty, and it was really fun having those few weeks with you <laughs> working together. So. And it's starting a new friendship. Can't wait. For sure. Thank you. All right. Talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Well, there you have it. I'm so proud to bring you episodes this season from the hardworking women in leadership and decision-making roles, getting it done at Heavy Industry Brands. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, you can check out more episodes of the podcast at our marketingsweats.com website or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. That's a wrap for today. Keep up the good work, friends, and we'll chat again soon. 